the name of the Chiefs comes from a non-native man, a white guy who liked to play Indian, and uh, it has nothing to do with being named after a Native American. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week, we're speaking to the associate editor of Indian Country Today. He's an Aquasasne Mohawk by the name of Vincent Schilling, and he's been all over the media talking about the name Kansas City Chiefs. As we tape this, the Chiefs, of course, are about to play in the Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers. I am of the belief that the Chiefs will win handily, and therefore this question about the Chiefs and their mascotry of Native Americans will be news for days to come. If I'm wrong, hey, at least you'll learn something about the Chiefs. We'll see what happens. Also, as you may imagine, I've got some choice words about the death of Kobe Bryant, uh, which is, of course, shaking up uh, the world, not just the sports world, but the world. Um, I also have an interview that I did with Michael Lee that we're going to play. Michael Lee is the lead NBA writer for The Athletic. He knew Kobe Bryant, and we're going to speak to him about Kobe and his entire history. I also have Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down awards, as you may imagine. But first, let's go to Vincent Schilling. As we tape this, uh, we know the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. I I think they're going to win, which will undoubtedly massively popularize their logo and mascot. From your perspective, and I know you've been doing a lot of interviews on this, what's the problem with naming a team the Chiefs? Yeah, you're right. I have been interviewed by quite a few. Uh, Associated Press, Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, CNN, and it's just dizzying, honestly. You know, um, whether or not the Chiefs win or or what have you, you know, they have propelled themselves uh, even further to this world stage, and which gives more awareness on who they are. You know, um, because they've made it to this this, you know, level of a championship status. Now everything is being looked at. That's the, the, uh, incredible thing about social media today is as soon as your platform is raised, so is the awareness to your platform and every aspect of that platform. So, um, whether or not they, they win, um, they've been elevated to a new level, you know, and more attention has been brought upon them. And, you know, I actually am glad for that, you know, and I certainly don't wish anything ill to any of the teams or any of the team players. You know, this is something they've all worked for for their entire lifetime, you know, athleticism wise. And, and you know, uh, you know, think of probably when they were kids going how hard they worked. But um, I don't want that type of mentality to get mixed in with the sense of let's not forget the real history behind things and let's have some awareness. Mm. So help educate us a little bit. Like, What are the origins of the chief's name? Well, the origins of the chief's name actually come from uh, a former Kansas City mayor. His name is Harold Rowe Bartle. Uh, and Mr. Bartle uh, in the 20s started the, what I will say, tribe of Mikasay. And I use the term tribe very very loosely, but Mikasay is a Boy Scout-oriented, you know, um, summer camp of sorts. And, you know, he created the Bartle Reservation, and that reservation is still existing today that, uh, you know, was kind of like an overnight camp for Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts to play Indian. And uh, it became so successful, so many people wanted to do it that, you know, he was known in his social circles as the chief, you know, chief Bartle chief, you know, um, he says, uh, according to Mikasay legend that he was called chief lone bear by the Arapaho tribe. I wasn't able to verify that. I reached out, you know, and I couldn't find any, uh, collusion to that, but his nickname in every circle was chief. And in 1960s, he brought in Lamar Hunt who owned the Dallas Texans at the time. And they were looking for a new home. Uh, he convinced them to bring it to Kansas city. They had a name, the team contest and, you know, Lamar Hunt's general manager even said, you know, years later that there was no way we could have chosen anything but the chiefs. 
you know, being that uh, Bartle was very affluent in the community, been the mayor. So the name of the chiefs comes from a non-native man, a white guy who liked to play Indian, and uh, it has nothing to do with being named after a Native American. Mm. Now, <laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, indeed. <laughs> and um, this story, because of this, has been elevated. So people are learning that. Yeah. Now, do you feel like there's any kind of qualitative difference between a name like the Chiefs and the the racial slur that adorns the team where I live here in Washington, D.C.? Or mm-hmm. should we be looking at this as all under the same umbrella? It, the word uh, The word Chief is not a racial slur, but the Washington team name is. You know, it's a dictionary-defined racial slur. You know, and that's been you know, knowledge for quite a while by quite a few people. And the, the name in itself, while Chiefs is not a slur, uh, and the, you know, Washington team's name is, it is not so much what I take issue with, uh, completely anyway, is because it, for me, it's more about the behavior that's connected to any team that has an Indian name or a native based name is regardless of how good the the intentions of the team are to to whoa whoa we're getting a lot of notice now let's make sure and have cultural outreach to try and sh- soften the blow of what's going on in in the stands you know is no matter what any kind of native relation to a team name you're going to have people who go to the you know local costume shop grab a headdress grab some fake beads and, you know, show up to the game and, and do their, you know, foam tomahawk, tomahawk chop. You know, it's all going to come in relation to that because that's where people equate with Native Americans. You know, we've become a stereotype ever since the onset of John Wayne and, you know, savage Indians, you know, shooting their flaming arrows at the, you know, poor little prairie settlers who are dr- trying to peacefully drive by in there you know, a covered wagon, you know, Mm -hmm. because the savage Indian story is the story that made millions. And and do do you have a visceral reaction when you see tens of thousands of fans doing the tomahawk chop? Oh, yes, Uh, absolutely. It, it, I feel some of the most deep embedded pain that I, I cannot even explain to you how bad it feels. It feels so horrendous you know, and it hurts me to the core. Uh, I feel genuine pain. I feel absolute genuine pain. And the reason for that is when the Chiefs became the Chiefs in 1963 or 64, probably the first, I would imagine the first game, you know, that people are like, Ooh, you know, I'm an Indian, you know, I'm going to go wear my headdress to the game. You know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, so you look at 1963 and, um, Native American and, and and First Nations and Indian residential schools were still going on up until 1990. So at the time where people are going to these games playing Indian, mm-hmm. you know, there are kids in residential schools getting beaten for being Indian, beaten for speaking their language. If they spoke a word by accident, they were slapped in the mouth. You know, I've heard horrendous stories about residential schools. My own grandmother was taken to a school and the nun said, you know, to my great grandmother who didn't speak a word of English, you cannot have her back till you get a job. She went and got a job, came back and they said, well, no, things have changed. She's been signed over. You can't have her back. So my great grandmother who didn't speak a word of English had to go and take my native grandmother and her sister and kidnap them back in the middle of the night. And mm. if she had been caught, I, I can't even imagine what a prison, I don't even know. Mm. So my grandmother, when she came old enough, you know, to have children, she was so frantic. She fled to California all the way from New York, you know, because I was in Agrasasana and my family was from Agrasasana. She fled to California. And for some of those years, off and on, you know, uh, my grandmother watched me closely, you know, in addition to my father, of course. But, um, you know, my grandmother never spoke her language. She never sang songs. She never told me about Mohawk Church because she was afraid I could be labeled an Indian and be put into a residential school. Mm. So people say, we honor you. We honor you by wearing this regalia. And I'm like, you know, what gives me honor is my great grandmother who went back and stole her child at risk of everything. Now, if you want to compare to those two honors, I don't think so. 
you know, I, I'm just going to make an observation, and I'm curious if, if, if you've made yes. a similar observation. Um, as someone who's been to games in Washington and been to games at Kansas City, I mean, the Washington mm-hmm. name is this racial slur, but it's pr- pretty rare that you see people actually dressed up in full mascotting regalia. Um, but when you go to the Chiefs, I mean, you see people in, in red face paint. You, you know, it, you see a lot of people in the headdresses. I mean, the mascotry is so much more intense. The owner of the team, Clark Hunt, has posed wearing a Native American headdress. And yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I mean, even, even Dan Snyder, who I abhor, uh, has never done that. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think... Or do you agree with me, I guess? But, but if so, like, why do you think the mascotry is more intense in Kansas City? Well, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but every time I've gone to uh, the Washington team to kind of go, go talk to folks, I, I, don't have, I don't see a shortage of people dressed up in headdresses there. I've seen mm. quite a bit of it. Um, so you, you, know, so you, uh, you see it actually, um, Oh yeah. I, yeah okay. I have photographs that I went one time and there's a guy, you know, a couple guys, you know, full, full fledged headdresses and, you know, maybe what do they say when you talk down, to them? Depending on who goes, I don't know. But, what what um, do they say when, when you talk to them? Uh, well, one guy, I said, Hey, uh, you know, I'm from India. And he, he actually got kind of belligerent, um, yelled, a string of curse words at me and stormed off. And I was just like, sir, I just, I'm just want to share my thoughts with you. He didn't want to hear it. Uh, comedy central actually years ago, I was talking to them about it and then they decided to go to, uh, you know, one of the games and people that once they said what they were doing, they're like, take me off camera. You know, mm. they didn't want to talk about it. You know, um, I'm starting to think that, um, when I go to the Washington games, because so few people have been going to the games in recent years, maybe that's why I'm seeing less than in Kansas City. <laughs> Possibly, I, you know, like that—that's that's based on speculation. You know, I, you know, I, you know, I guess, I, I guess, I, you know, I haven't been to a Kansas City game, so I can't really draw the comparison. You know, and I'm only going off of what the. Uh, a lot of journalists will will see, and and I'm, my my assumption to that is is from what I've seen, from what I is a lot of uh, you know professional journalists or professional ph- photographers see the headdress, and there's a lot more you know bright colors. Uh, same thing if someone's painted head to toe. So bottom line, it makes to them a good photo. You know, so they'll take the photo. So it tends to be out there maybe a little more, mm. you know, um, it, 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 it is cause for concern for me because I think if the 49ers were to win, you know, you'd see, you know, um, players holding the trophy and hands in the air, maybe kissing it or something. And then, but I just, I, I, I have a feeling if the the chiefs were to win, you know, we'd see a picture of a guy, you know, raising his hands and they're wearing a full flat feathered, you know, fake headdress. That's just my suspicion. Mm. You know, yes, of course, those are the players excited and stuff, but I just, I just, I'm waiting for it. You know, I'm waiting for it. And, it, and it's the one thing that's kind of been a little rough. Uh, and I'll be honest is that in as much as uh, the tweet thread I put out on the 20th of January, uh, right after the Chiefs and 49ers were named to be in the Super Bowl, you know, and then I got so much response from that is is that with all the organizations that have reached out to me, including, you know, the major uh, national uh, news organizations, is every single one of these stories that has talked to me about it, you know, you don't really see a photograph of any of the people they've interviewed, myself or any of the other people they've talked to, but boy, front and center is that fake headdress and fake face paint, you know? So in some ways, yes, okay, they are sharing the message, but people also are not seeing Native people. They're seeing these stereotypes once again. So it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword in so many ways, you know, because I absolutely appreciate so much that people are, you know, giving – of um, airtime to this, including yourself, and I really do appreciate that very much, Dave. I, I really do. Well, 
what you've done so much media can, can you give us a sense though of, of what the blowback has been like for you like oh, on yeah. that more social media <laughs> level are you talking about the responses from people <laughs> yeah the grassroots blowback uh shut the bleep up really uh, go to hell um you are a scum you know i've had just you name it you know no one cares you know Oh gosh, you're just using this as a platform to promote you. Oh, of course, now that they're in the Super Bowl, now you want to talk about it. But the thing is, I've been talking about this stuff for years, you know. But because it's reached this level, people aren't familiar with with the work I've done in Indian country, you know. So I understand that. Um, but for me, I try to do research before I make a comment sometimes. But you know, people, it just it's it's an it's a demonstration that people would feel very strongly, you know, about their sports teams. And here's what I say to that. Here's what I say is that when you're excited that your team wins, or maybe you're standing there with your buddy and you're like, yeah, you know, you're spending a, or, or maybe, you know, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you're hanging out with them and you're having a great time, or maybe you're hanging out with your family or maybe your dad and you're having these great times and you're feeling that camaraderie or your team wins and the guys around you and the girls around you are all excited. So you feel this exhilaration and excitement and those are the good times of life, you know, but do the best you can not to connect that exhilaration and excitement to the actual history of what the name is. You can separate those out and be like, you know what? I still had some wonderful times with my friends, and my team, but let's at least recognize that this is where the name's from and say, Hey, and let's give it a nod, you know? And, and I, and I said, look, I respect everyone's opinion. You know, and I just ask that you respect mine. And I don't get that type of response for the most part. Although it's I do amazing. have to say a lot of people have come to my defense in a very kind way. And I certainly appreciate that. Have you gotten any response from anyone who said like, wow, I, I was a chiefs fan. And I've never thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate you asking that question. I really do because yes, I really have. And, you know, that's really encouraging. You know, I've had some, uh, quite a few folks actually, you know, and I'm really, I'm actually really glad you asked. I don't think anyone's asked me that, um, is yes. I've had some people say, you know what? Wow. I'm a, uh, Kansas, uh, Kansas city chief fan and I love them, but I never knew this story. I appreciate you telling them that. It gives me a lot to think about, you know, I mean, and that and that's very encouraging to me. And I've had quite a few people say that, you know, hey, you know, I didn't know this. I love the Kansas City Chiefs, but wow, I didn't know this history. And I'm like, wow, you know, I mean, that's it. You don't have to like suddenly turn 180 against your team, you know. But 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 if, if all of us come together and say, hey, you know what? Let's not tolerate bad behaviors, you know, or let's bring this to to light, you know. It doesn't take away that me personally, and, and I always say I don't speak for everyone in Indian country, certainly, but I do say that for myself personally, I wish all native team names and all mascot names were, were, were discontinued, just period, bottom line. Mm. And that's my stance. Well, that, that's a great note to end on. But before you go, I ask every guest on this podcast what music you're listening to these days, so I'm not going to let you off the hook. Because my experience is that people who think about this stuff also tend to use music as a point of inspiration and, you know, as they're working through their ideas. And so, so what's on your playlist these days? Right. You know, uh, are you there? Can you hear oh, me? yes. Got you. Yeah, it tapped out. It, didn't, it tapped out for just one second. But, uh, you know, what's interesting is um, there's a First Nations group who I, I really love. I just, my wife and I've been listening to for a while. They're called Snotty Nose Res Kids, and uh, <laughs> they're they're a little political, a little uh, you know. Uh, they're they're hip hop artists. These guys are another great artist, another great native artist that we've listened to lately, and um, you know was also who is the other uh, great native artist? I'm sorry, I missed that. Who who is the other? Natani Means. Natani yeah, Means. Natani yes. Means. Yeah, he's great. He's the son of Russell Means. Actually, I was just about um, to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, he's related to Russell yeah, Means. True. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Yeah, Matani's awesome. And of course, my whole life I've always loved Depeche Mode. <laughs> <laughs> Latest entry to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Depeche Mode. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's why I thought of it actually. Yeah. So yeah, that was, original that was group an 80s reuniting. Kid for sure. Yep. <laughs> for the ceremony. That's fantastic. Oh, gotcha. 
Hey, Vincent, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on and and, uh, and giving a voice to this. Absolutely. It's, it's much appreciated. Absolutely. That okay. was Vincent Schilling, ladies and gents. We'll be back right after this message. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now I've got some choice words about the death of Kobe Bryant. Okay, look, Kobe was a generational basketball talent with a hoops resume all his own. 20 years with the Los Angeles Lakers, an MVP, a five-time world champion, an 18-time All-Star, and a cutthroat clutch performer. Playing for the league's most legendary franchise, Kobe was named by none other than Mr. Laker Magic Johnson as the greatest to ever play for the team. Beyond that, his workout regimens were the stuff of legend. No one worked harder, no one was more intense, no one was more dialed in than Kobe Bryant. That was why he called himself, and then everybody started calling him, the Black Mamba. Now a friend of mine who played on the Lakers with Kobe loves telling the story of seeing him on the court for hours before a game, without a basketball in his hands, just practicing his footwork, playing against shadows. The shock that accompanies Kobe's death cannot be overstated. People throughout the basketball world and beyond took to social media to share their grief. It was a collective tidal wave of sadness that along with the news itself was enough to knock the wind out of you. In the days since, we've seen memorials at NBA stadiums throughout the country. In San Antonio, there was talk of canceling the game and instead during the first two possessions, The teams let the two 24-second shot clocks run out for Kobe's number 24 as the fans chanted Kobe for several solid minutes. Even the sixth grade team that I coach, they and their opponents took eight-second violations to start uh, the game. Each team took one just as a tribute to Kobe's number eight. And on this team, every time a player shoots in practice, anytime one of my 11- and 12-year-olds shoot, they always yell out, Kobe! Now, one reason that it seemed so unreal, Kobe's passing, was that he was such a continual cultural presence even after his retirement three and a half years ago. He was just in the news last week as LeBron James passed him for third on the all-time scoring list. LeBron wrote Kobe's two playing numbers, 8 and 24, on his sneakers. And LeBron, since Kobe's death, has tattooed a black mamba on his leg. Kobe won an Oscar in 2018 for an animated film short about his love of basketball. He also had plans to be an entertainment mogul in the years to come. He wasn't going to hang out on the set of NBA shows. He was going to have a second act and be more than an athlete. That's why what seemed to lie beneath the tears of NBA players was that Kobe was more than just an icon. He had the potential to blaze new trails that they would be able to walk. Now, Kobe's death has also renewed discussion of his complex legacy, particularly regarding when he was accused of rape in Colorado in 2003. After he was charged with sexual assault, the case never went to trial because Kobe's accuser in 2004 informed the court that she would not testify. This is a complicated case, though, because Kobe's lawyers engaged in a scorched-earth action to uh, actually shame this woman and keep her out of court. In fact, it was because Kobe issued an apology where he admitted in court that while he thought there was consent to their encounter, uh, the woman in question did not, that most likely led to them to settle out of court. So that is a story that means that a lot of survivors in the last week have also been in a lot of pain because they've seen this lionization of Kobe Bryant and felt like his whole history was being disregarded. 
And I think it's very important at this point in time that we not police people's grief and people's processing because people are coming at their memories of Kobe Bryant from all kinds of different angles. For now, there will be mourning. The Staples Center, which Kobe called home for two decades, has already become like a wake with thousands of people showing up to stand outside the stadium, leaving flowers, making sculptures. And of course, in the first game back, uh, you had half the fans wearing number eight and half wearing number 24 with shirts provided by the Lakers organization and a whole ceremony before the game that left people in tears. People will still be crying and remembering and those who suffer in their way through the coming days will be in numbers far beyond the world of basketball. And it also has to be said that the people suffering aren't just going to be people who are fans of Kobe Bryant. People who were taken in by the incredible charisma of his daughter Gigi, who also died in that helicopter crash and had aspirations of becoming a basketball player herself. That's, that's led to the hashtag girls dad that people I'm sure saw um, on Twitter. Then there's the Altabelli family that died in the helicopter crash. Uh, legendary uh, Juco baseball family, the, um, John Altabelli is the father who died in that crash. His wife, Carrie, their daughter, Alyssa, who is a teammate of Gigi's. Uh, also an assistant coach was on that helicopter, the pilot on the helicopter. Another player on Gigi's team was on the helicopter. It's almost too much to get your head around the amount of tragedy that happened just because of that one helicopter crash. But for now, the world mourns. And again, please don't police people's grief because people are coming at this from a lot of different angles. And so we want to say that we stand with survivors. and We also want to stay with people who are mourning because of what Kobe Bryant meant to them. And now I've got an interview with Michael Lee, the lead basketball writer at The Athletic, who is going to speak about the Kobe that he knew. Where were you when you heard um, about Kobe, Gianna, um, and, and the, the horror that happened on Sunday? Uh, I was at home, and uh, I just happened to, uh, my phone was buzzing, and I just wanted to check and see what was, what was going on, like, and why it was buzzing. And then I looked and saw on Twitter um, that, you know, people were confirming that Kobe had died, and I was like, what? Because it was such a shock to me, because I was I was at the Sixers-Lakers game the night before, and, you know, LeBron had passed Kobe for third all-time on the all-time scoring list. And, you know, so LeBron, after the game, you know, spoke for about 10 minutes about his affection for Kobe and just what an influence he had on him and, and just how special a moment it was for him and, you know, the special message Mamba Forever he had on his shoes and, you know, the time that, uh, I guess when he first met him, he was, a uh, high school, he was in high school and, um, the All-Star game was in Philadelphia. Um, and so he drove down from New Jersey because they were getting to play Oak Hill Academy. So he drove down and Kobe gave him a pair of his Adidas shoes. They had red, white, and blue stripes or whatever. And they had, um, and they were size 14. And LeBron wore size 15. And so he still wore them anyway and mm. played and they wound up winning the game. And so LeBron is just telling all these great stories. And I want to bring the column because I had spoken to Allen Iverson about that moment before. And Allen was telling me about, you know, basically that he puts LeBron, Kobe, and Michael Jordan in the same class as to right. be in, in the GOAT conversation. And so I wrote this column, and, you know, I wake up, and, you know, I'm not thinking that Kobe's going to die that day because he's alive, and he's always going to be alive. And so I just spent pretty much the entire day in denial and just waiting for somebody to basically confirm that this was some sort of hoax or a case of mistaken identity. And uh, that, that still hasn't come, but I'm still in a state of shock. Yeah, I can't even believe it's surreal we're even having this conversation. Um, yeah, I mean, every time I see, you know, 1978 to 2000, I mean, to 2020, and I'm like, what? He's, wait, why are they cutting it off at the end? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like there shouldn't be an end. Like, Kobe's still going. Like, it shouldn't be over. So everybody this week has been coming with their with their Kobe stories. It's it's kind of remarkable. Like it actually, the only thing I can compare it to um, is when Muhammad Ali passed, and it seemed like everybody had a very specific story about meeting Ali and an impression that he made on them in some way or another. Because you know, as you well know, a lot of people who are at that Ali or Kobe level of fame, they're just as likely to walk by you as they are to leave you with that kind of indelible impression. And so I wanted to ask you who who was 
the, do you have a Kobe story for us? Who was the Kobe that you were able to interact with? I, I, I just, I mean, I had a lot of interactions with him over the years, and I was fortunate that he would give me extra time if I needed it um, to have conversations about the game, and uh, so I enjoyed those moments. And um, you know, later on in his career, I didn't speak to him as often, but uh, you know. Right around that time when I started covering the NBA, um, you know, I, I, he was obviously the biggest star in the game at the time. Uh, I was able to spend some time with him, and I remember there was a bunch of stories, but the one that kind of stands out the most was um, I drove up. I was in Oakland working on a couple of stories, and I drove up to Sacramento to try to get Kobe um, just to talk about, like, this was in 2006, and I wanted to talk to him about the scoring rampages, all these these outbursts he had. He just had a 62-point game in Dallas with, you know... Um, oh, that was in three quarters, right? In three quarters, yeah. So I want to talk to him about just how he was sort of, you know, getting people to talk more about his, you know, success on the court than some of his off-court incidents, which had, you know, really clouded his um, career and just where it was headed. But he was really on this, this, this you know, you know, discharge just to be great and everything so we wound up talking for about 10 minutes 10 15 minutes one-on-one it was great because i had him by myself uh at shoot around and um he was just really just saying i'm tired of everybody comparing me to mike i'm tired of everybody putting mike above us and holding us to that standard we need to move past that we need to appreciate the players that are in the league now we need to give them their props we need to stop you know trying to hold everybody to this mj standard let us be us this is our time talk about us, talk about what we're doing, because we're working hard to be great. We're working hard to leave our own legacy. And he's giving me this great stuff, and I was like, man, this is fantastic. It's going to be a great story. So I called my editor and said, hey, I got this great stuff from Kobe. You know, uh, I'm really excited. And she was like, okay, well, let me talk to the editors. They called back, said they wanted me to write it for A1. They wanted the story to run a few days later. I was like, okay, cool. So I told my editor, I was like, well, maybe I should go to L.A., this is I have a little more time. Maybe I should just fly down to L.A., get a cheap ticket, and go, you know, get some steam, you know, in L.A. She was like, sure, go ahead, go ahead. Mm. And then, so at the last minute, I said, you know, I'm not going to go. Uh, there's no way I'm going to do this because I got enough. Kobe just gave me this great stuff about Michael. Nobody else is going to have this. I'm going to have the best Kobe story this week, and I just feel good about that. So I'm going to stick with this. So I'm writing a story, pulling an all-nighter on a Sunday night, and the Lakers were playing the Toronto Raptors. And I said, oh, let boy. me check and see what's going on here. And so I look at the score, and I'm looking at Kobe, you know, in the third quarter. I'm like, he has what? He has what? 60 what? Wait, he has 70? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This guy has 81 points. And, like, so when the game ended, I'm going berserk. I'm going, I'm, I'm furious because I could have been there. I should have been there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really upset about it. But I'm upset about one, it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, I can't always say, I can always tell people, that three days before Kobe had 81, he told me he was done with the MJ comparisons and that he wanted to be appreciated for who he was. <laughs> and by golly, that dude went out and did it. Yeah. So that's my favorite Kobe story. Cause, wow. Um, not that I, not that I did it, but I, I, he had, he had something to get off his chest that day and he had something to get off his chest against the Raptors a few days later. So I, I'm glad that I was in some way, I, 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 I helped spark it or inspire it, even though, uh, uh, I should have been there. <laughs> but you, you felt connected to the yeah. best modern scoring performance in NBA history. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so that, that's 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 my, that's one that's one of many, and, and that's the one special thing about Kobe is that you know whatever little time you got to spend with him, it always stood out, and you always remember it. And um, you know he's always in the finals. He we grew up basically we're almost the same age, so. We, he's part of my whole existence, basically in basketball, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's part of what made his death so hit so hard, and why, like for me, I live in Philadelphia now, and you know, um, and I live not far from his high school, and you know, so I took my son to to his uh, to like this little uh, like kind of memorial they had set up outside the gym that he used to dominate, and just kind of witness it, even though he's two and doesn't really get what's going on. But I know that he gets older, and eventually, if he winds up going to that high school, that you know he'll ask me stories, and I'll have something to share. And uh, and that's that's one thing that's that's beauty of that's the beauty of this is that you know you may be gone, you may you may be in in a grave or somewhere, but you'll always live forever. And Kobe's one of those guys who will never die because people will hold on to him for as long as they're living. You know, I think one of the surprising things that's happened this week amongst the outpouring of grief is the incredible grief from the young guys in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Now, you've been writing about this. 
how did Kobe become a godfather to this generation of young players? Because let's be honest, Michael never played that role. You know no. what I'm saying? Certainly, he has no desire. No to desire to. Certainly, Tim Duncan never had a desire uh, yeah. to play that role. Uh, but but Kobe, in the midst of this whole Mamba mentality, and I'm going to rip your heart out to win a game. But like like there was a duality there because in the midst of all of that, he also wanted to make sure that next generation would rise up and take the game to another place. Not just people on the Lakers, but people across the league. How did that happen? Well, I think a lot of that you can attribute to the fact that he had, you know, Jerry West, you know, in his ear, you know, at a very young age. He had Magic Johnson. He had legends, and he and he sought out legends. He sought out the greats to figure out what what made them tick and just what, you know, they used to, you know, reach their their levels. And so it's always been in him. But I honestly think that you know he had this sort of singular focus throughout his playing career. He sort of alienated peers. And he wasn't necessarily, like you said, he was such a fierce competitor that he, he wasn't trying to, you know, befriend anybody. But I think as he, as his career continued to progress and he sort of felt that there was an emptiness to that. There's an emptiness to just chasing rings and just trying to be the greatest because no, no one's really going to define you, but people from the outside. So trying to be the greatest, that's just such a nebulous term that you can't really achieve. But what you can do is leave a mark. What you can do is inspire. What you can do is help people, you know, become their best person. And I think that's one of the things that he tried to do because as he started to confront his own basketball mortality, you got to remember his last three or four years, he was hurt. He was banged up. Mm -hmm. He was constantly on the shelf. So that left him a lot of time to be introspective and reflect on what kind of influence he could have on the game and what kind of uh, purpose he had as, as, a, as an all-time great. And he used that for good. He used that to try to help guys who were overcoming injuries. He used that to help guys who may have been struggling to figure out what they're going to become in this league. And he didn't just help, you know, the superstars. I mean, he, right. he can talk to just about everybody in the league from Kawhi Leonard, you know, Kyrie Irving, KD, everybody, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron, they all have stories. But he was helping guys like Buddy Hill figure it out before he, you know, he came up. He was helping guys. You know, at the end of the bench, he was, you know, motivating Giannis Antetokounmpo before we knew he was going to be Giannis. You know, he's telling him that he needs to go after being MVP, and now he's the reigning MVP, probably going to be two-time very soon. And I think he just took it, you know, to understand that he benefited from the greats of the past, right? And that's why he reached his, his level as a star. So he's got to help everybody else come up so that they can help the game continue to grow and, and move on. And I think that's why he was able to leave the game and feel complete and feel like there was nothing more that he had to give because he had given his all. You know, he, his body just was ravaged from all that he gave. Um, but there's still more that he could offer. And, and I think that's, that's, that's why so many players were hurt because my MJ just seemed like he, he was somebody that you could never reach. He was untouchable, but Kobe was very relatable. You know, he had his fall from grace. He had, you know, things that, you know, you could kind of see his shortcomings, uh, his failings. Um, with MJ, there weren't any. He was just this, this god, this deity. Um, Kobe was more human, and I think that's why players feel such a loss now that he's gone. Yeah, Chuck here. I, I, I really appreciate how you articulated that because I had not thought about that, how you come full circle that he helped the young people, but he was the beneficiary of help from the legends and that he was really paying it forward. And I hadn't thought about it till you said it, but that, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And, mm. And, uh, you know, and he, and he, he, you know, I, I got a chance to, you know, I did a story on it and he, he said, Hey, this is, I, I never thought I would be in this position. Like, I'm not going to be that guy who's going to be all super cuddly and nice and helping anybody. Um, but I think it just sort of happened organically. You know, a lot of guys, he realized that he had a responsibility because guys were reaching out to him. They, they wanted to seek out him. They were like, you're Kobe. You're, you're my inspiration. You're my hero. You're the guy that I want to be like, you know, um, like Kyrie Irving, their whole relationship started because at Team USA, Kyrie challenging Kobe to a one-on-one. -on -one. And he's like, who's this little dude? Think he can beat me? Like, and he respected it though. And that, and that's, that's the thing. You earn Kobe's respect on the court. You do something with Carmelo, you know, he would, he, he respected Carmelo because he would go hard at him. He would, he would, he wouldn't be intimidated by him. If Kobe tried to, you know, you know, demoralize him, he'd come right back with a bucket in his face and that type of stuff. Kobe was like, okay, well, I can, I can, this is a guy that sort of has my same sort of mentality, so I'm going to help him. And mm -hmm. it just sort of grew from that. And that, 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 that and that's the thing. It, it, it really, 
was just a, a, a sad day, and, and you've seen all these tributes from players and guys are now changing their numbers and things of that nature. Although I disagree. I wish they would keep the number eight and keep the number 24, uh, you know, because I think that is the way you honor somebody. That is the way you – I mean, he, he's, if he's the guy that motivated you to play and he's the reason why you wanted to do it, then wear that number because that's that's what it's all about. That's, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, LeBron wears 23 because MJ was that guy, you know. I mean, everybody leans on somebody for inspiration, and I think that um, it'd be nice if guys uh, saw it that way as opposed to thinking it's disrespect to, to wear that number. Mm. It's not. Uh, I think I think it's, it's the utmost respect to go out there and, and, and wear, you know, the number of the guy who inspired you to be a pro. Yeah, I heard uh, some chatter today about instead of retiring the numbers, making the All-Star game a place where, say, one team wears number eight and the other team wears 24. I'm all for that. You know, um, I think that would be a great gesture by the league. Um, Or even if there's just some sort of number eight decal or something that's on a jersey, I think that's a fine thing to do, too. Um, You know, one thing that I do want to say, and and I'd be remiss to say this, you know, Kobe had a very, um, you know, he, he, he had a very complex, you know, story. And mm-hmm. he, he a lot of nuance to him. And you can't just, like, say everything was great and glorious. And I, I don't want to get let people get too um, far in, in, in their grief and, and, and in the moment, that they don't forget that there still are people that do um, not hold Kobe in the highest esteem, you know, because of what happened in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And we have to be sensitive to... Uh, victims of sexual violence and people who do feel pain in this moment and having to have this lit, you know brought back in their face and I, I just wanted to just share that as well because I mean they, this was a this was not a, a simple thing and I think that's that's the one thing about Kobe too is that you know that you know people are not just black or white figures they're not just good they're not just evil they're not they can be both and they can have moments that they fall and, and come short of what you know you expect of them I don't know if you necessarily need to hold them to their darkest moments, you know, for the rest of their lives, but you also do have to acknowledge it and acknowledge that there is pain that comes with that. Mm, you just answered my my next question without me having to ask it. Oh. I do appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that because we were wrestling with that in the first half of the show about like how do you uh, what's the responsibility to speak about 2003 to 2005 as we discuss this with all the attendance sensitivities that are out there right now. But I, I feel like you answered that really well. Um, I, I'd be one, one more question for you, Michael, because sure. we, we, this is and this is just much more the hoops nerds question here. It's like at, at at the end of the day, Kobe Bryant on the court. Where where do you have him in terms of legacy on the game as a player? Uh, I don't know because I, I don't. If you're thinking about rankings and things, um, you know, one one thing that I I do feel like um, he played in an era where you know there was a lot of competition, you know, and there was a lot of people who you know won during his era you know he won five rings but tim duncan did too you know and tim duncan has playoff series wins against him you know so i think that they were in the you know in shack i think those three guys dominated a decade you know those three guys together did the same way michael and magic ruled the 80s the same way michael ruled the 90s uh you know i think that you know that decade uh, the, the the early aughts or the aughts or whatever that belonged to Kobe and, and Shaq and, and Tim Duncan because those three guys, you know, did it all. And um and so, you know, I I, I don't necessarily say he's, you know, top ten or whatever because I, I think there were a lot of great players, um, you know, that I don't want to slight in any way. Um, so I, I I I don't know what number to put him at, but I, I do feel like that his peers than the guys that he played with during that era, they're right there with him, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to forget that because I, I did watch basketball during that period, mm-hmm. and I did see some other great players doing it during his era. Um, but I will say that none of those guys is as revered and is as yeah. admired um, amongst their peers as Kobe is. Michael Lee with the Athletic. Everybody should subscribe to the Athletic for the best sports coverage, and you get to read Michael Lee. Mike, th- thanks so much for making the time. Man, thanks for having me on. It's Thank always you. fun to talk to you. Yeah, Appreciate that, it. I hope it was cathartic, too. I really do. It, yeah, it is. This has been good. I'm doing all these these radio shows and podcasts. It's been good to kind of get it all out because 
it's best best to just talk about him, remember him fondly, than to just keep it all inside and or let it bottle up and, and, right and make you feel worse. Yeah. Right. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award goes to people you have not been seeing in the media, and those are people who are protesting at the Super Bowl. Do you realize that amidst the big parties and the bottle service and the $1,500 hotel rooms and all the rest of it, there are airport workers who are engaged in a hunger strike outside of Miami International Airport because they're not paid a living wage right now. So to me, this is such a microcosm of this country in that you've got all of this flash, all of this din, the media is being served up free drinks and buffets and all the rest of it. And meanwhile, amidst all of that, there are people fighting to be heard. So a big shout out to the workers at Miami International Airport who are fighting for a living wage. We live in two Americas, y'all. You don't have to look further than the Super Bowl than to see that the Super Bowl is like prom for the 1%, but for the people who actually do the work to keep it going, it's an entire other operation. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award Sit your ass down! goes to, of course, Marcus Morris of the New York Knicks who after a game against the Memphis Grizzlies said of his opponent, Jay Crowder, this is what Marcus Morris said. A lot of female tendencies on the court, flopping and throwing his head back the entire game. And like I said, man, it's a man's game, and you just get tired of it, man. And then obviously at the end, I was very unprofessional. They went in the game, it's a good team, and, you know, he does stuff like that, man. Okay, people got to understand that that is like crazy homophobic, and it's crazy sexist at the same time because it's equating having female tendencies with being soft. Now, of course, Marcus Morris rushed out with a big apology, but the fact that his instincts went there in the first place speaks volumes. And for years, I think, when people speak about uh, homophobia and sexism in sports, uh, people are going to play that clip by Marcus Morris. And he's going to have to be the face of that, I think, for a long time to come. Because you just can't be talking like that. And my favorite response has been from Liz Cambage, who's one of the heroes of the WNBA. And she put out a tweet where she just said, I'm winning a lot of games with these female tendencies. So shout out to Liz Cambage. For Kaepernick Watch this week, just want to say a quick word about this PETA ad that everybody is talking about. My goodness, how much can we speak about this? Uh, This PETA ad, this is what PETA put in their tweet. This is the PETA ad that the NFL apparently didn't want you to see and pressured Fox Sports to snub. It envisions a world where respect is the right of every being and pays homage to Kaepernick and movements rejecting injustice. And then there's a series of animals taking a knee, like, like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen a snake take a knee, but they have a snake taking a knee, an eagle taking a knee, a pig taking a knee. Look, I respect the vegan community as much as anybody. But you can't equate a movement against racism and police violence with animals engaging in a conscious movement to keep from being eaten. You gotta see that. You gotta see that you can't appropriate uh, the struggle against racism for your own ends. Frankly, I don't care what the struggle is. It's like th- that, that is a, a black protest movement and as it should stay, but to particularly make it around animal rights, not to sound specious, but you just can't be doing that. I'm sorry. And also it caters to all the stereotypes that people have about PETA, about being an organization 
that um, equates animal life and animal rights with the rights of people who are fighting in the streets for their basic existence. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Hopefully, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl only because it'll make this podcast all the more relevant, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. For everybody out there listening, remember, if you like the podcast, please, please, please write a little note at iTunes or Stitcher or your podcast app of choice. Please, please, please give it a rating. All that stuff helps us in a big way. We're a very highly rated sports podcast, and we want to keep it that way. And if you're in Iowa and you're listening to this podcast, get out there, show up, and vote on Monday. The future literally depends on it. Again, for everybody out there listening, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.